Welcome to The Real Deal, where we get real about what it takes to succeed. Whether it's wealth, health, relationships, or finding your purpose, we talk to the masters to uncover the secrets to defying the odds and creating your own rock star legacy. I'm Doug, and after working on multiple Grammy-winning records as an author, transformational speaker, and your personal translightenment coach, I'm committed to your growth and success. And now, here's the real deal. All right, so welcome to The Real Deal On. Uh, today's episode is brought to you by Revolutionary Growth. And uh, you can head to guidedhypnotic.com for a free guided meditation. But we're going to talk about identifying discounted properties with Marshall Sklar. So Marshall was born and raised in Hewlett, New York, and later moved to Boca Raton, Florida, where he graduated from Florida Atlantic University. Since childhood, Marshall has been a master of focus and accomplishment. It was in his freshman year of college that he discovered his passion for real estate mentorship, management, and investment. While in school, Marshall co-founded numerous real estate-related startups, including an off-campus housing website, which is the foundation of his career. This venture would eventually become one of the leading sources for off-campus housing solutions in South Florida and was awarded first place in the 2009 FAU Business Plan Competition. This was a huge milestone for his business as he went up against over 30,000 competitors to place number one, gaining Marshall and his company notoriety among some of the largest names in real estate, both locally and abroad. Marshall later expanded into the brokerage aspect of the industry and created an investor-based model for the acquisition of rentals as well as flip properties. The company, is that a bidologist? Bidologist, yeah. There you go. My, I wrote, I printed this and I am out of color ink. So it, uh, ah, gotcha. <laughs> in one of the colors. Yes. Together with his, its partners and investors, how now successfully brought, remodeled, and resold over 1,200 properties. Marshall currently serves as the co-founder of Florida's Best Realty Services, as well as a managing partner at, I guess, Bidologist again in there. Okay. And their affiliate companies, including a title company, storage facility, and numerous other real estate-related assets. His position includes finding investment opportunities in distressed real estate assets and either remodeling to rent or resell them once complete. The company acquires properties for investors via modern hybrid program, which he pioneered with his business partner, Eric Nathanson, one of South Florida's prominent real estate investor operators. Their most recent acquisition was one of East Boca Raton's most well-respected industrial, outdoor, and indoor storage facilities. The property, Meisner Storall, is situated on just over 2.5 acres of prime real estate near the Atlantic Ocean. Meisner Storall has quite a history as it was owned and operated by an influential Boca Raton family since the mid 19 hundreds and in mid 2017 Sklar and Nathanson were able to take over ownership and management of the facility via an off-market transaction with heirs of the estate. Marshall has been featured in numerous media outlets, investment groups, and seminars for his accurate forecasting of the subprime meltdown, real estate crash, and rebound, which would soon follow in South Florida real estate market. He precisely called and opened forecasted to his dedicated followers the events as they unfolded from boom to bust, as well as the recovery. Marshall has a passion for learning and sharing knowledge, most importantly, in helping others succeed as he has done. He speaks at numerous real estate conferences and investment clubs throughout South Florida, including Brick, Boca Raton Investment Club, and the Broward County Real Estate Investment Club, uh, Berea. 
Marshall's also an active, is active on social media and shares his real estate stories and experiences with thousands of viewers via his Facebook Live videos, feeds, and blogs. He lives a life believing that knowledge is power and wants to enlighten those around him with knowledge in any way possible. In 2015, Marshall was a main focal point in a front page article written by lead economic correspondent James Tankersley of the Washington Post. The article focused mainly on South Florida boom-bust cycle that took place while Jeb Bush was governor of Florida and how Marshall and his investors seized an opportunity to prosper from the crash. Yet they did so with honesty and integrity. And there's the article. And then in 2017, Marshall was featured as a lead role in Flippin' Florida. Very good. A TV pilot about buying and selling homes in South Florida. Marshall's, I don't know if I'd call these hobbies of yours. These are your passions. Fishing, spearfishing, boating, physical fitness, running and training, traveling, and most importantly, his family of two children, Daniel and Maya and wife Natalia and chocolate Labrador retriever, Pilar. That's right. Oh. Named after Ernest Hemingway's mistress. And oh, interesting. Very cool. Well, first of all, thank you so much for coming on here. I know it was kind of a little bit last minute, and uh, I really appreciate you making the time. Um, the purpose of this experience is exactly what you just shared, the passion of helping light the way, especially during some interesting times, and we are in an interesting time. Uh, so you're, you're an investor. You are a mogul of sorts in in this world what are you how are you dealing with these new challenges what have you noticed and um obviously you're talking about identifying discounted properties and this time may or may not be providing even more opportunity okay well let's start off with these times right uh the past 60 days have been monumental something completely you could write and read every economic forecasting mechanism, every book, every video. It doesn't make a difference. Nothing could have accurately forecasted something, an anomaly like this happening. That being said, while the event of the coronavirus in the grand scheme of history is short-lived, whether it lasts two months or two years, the impacts of it will be long-lived. So that being said, we are now calculating what's going to be adversely impacted in the marketplace and what's going to be positively impacted in the marketplace. And there is no generic market. So real estate, there's no way to say the real estate market went up 10% this year. It's not like the stock market where you could say the Dow Jones went up 12% this month or the S&P was down 25%. Real estate is so unique in the sense of there's markets and sub-markets and there's local and there's national and there's international. So do you want to start off with talking about maybe the opportunities that we see coming up and as well as the, you know, what we can forecast over the next few years? Sure. I mean, what, where has your focus been? Where do you think the most value? Cause we, we have about a half hour. So what? Uh, it's definitely not on the residential end. The residential end is holding strong. And, and again, I'm speaking strictly for South Florida. Right. Uh, we're not seeing price changes. We're not seeing any price declines for sure. At least on the entry level, mid-level, uh, prices have actually gone up even during the pandemic. Transactions went down naturally so because half the cities, you couldn't get a lien search completed because the cities were closed. Right. That being said, there's so much pent-up demand and so much pent-up business from December, January, February, that now you're going to see record-breaking numbers in May, June, July, 
because all the stuff that's been put on the back burner is finally coming home to roost. It's, it's ready to close. And those so, people who were at that level, this isn't having them back out of those deals. Like, are you seeing any of those deals fall apart? No, uh, most stuff, it, you got to realize the, the rational mindset says this is temporary. And regardless of what happens in the world, as long as you still have a job and income, for the most part, you're not going to change your convictions from three months ago to now. If you were going to buy a house in January, February, you're probably going to still buy a house in March, April, May, June. Mm-hmm. Even more so if you're moving from New York or New Jersey or one of the states that were impacted really right. poorly, uh, we're seeing desperation buying. I haven't seen that since 2011 where when the market was rebounding exponentially, where people would literally just come to South Florida and write a check just to own a piece of paradise before the prices got too crazy. Mm. And I'm starting to see that on the low end investment grade stuff, low end entry level investment grade, multifamily. Um, but on the high end, uh, you know, that market's been hurting for more than a year now. It has nothing to do with the COVID-19 pandemic. I think that it was just the final straw that broke that camel's back. And when I say high end, I mean million and a half to five million or $10 million condos, not single family condos. But single family, you're still seeing? We're seeing some big deals close, and they're closing at or near record prices. It's very hard to accurately calibrate where high-end real estate trades as a whole because each house is so unique. You sell a 25,000-square-foot mansion on the ocean, and it sells for $25 million. Well, was it worth $30 million a month ago, or was it worth $25 million? There's no... Right. when you get to a certain point in the market and a certain marketplace, it's what someone's willing to pay. And so with all of this, has it, have you had to pivot in what you do and how you do it? Well, first off, we had to adjust. We can't buy right now. Okay. And not for lack of resources as far as money. Uh, there's no available product for us to buy. The auctions have been closed. Predominantly, our... Uh, inventory, if you want to call it that, our houses are supplied through the judicial foreclosure auction process. Well, when the courthouse is closed, March, April, May, and possibly into June, guess what? We can't buy inventory. So we basically have a store with our shelves empty and all we're doing is selling what's left. Mm. It's been a nice, you know, great time of just relaxing and enjoying family and friends and fishing. But, um, that's the biggest thing we've had to pivot is a, a lack of inventory in a marketplace where there was already a shortage of inventory to begin with. Now, where there was a shortage, there's even more of a shortage. Interesting. So what do you, do you foresee the, when the courts open back up that it's going to be a floodgate or will it just be no. kind of where you were? So here's how it works. And understand with, again, with the judicial foreclosure process, the courts open foreseeably June 3rd. And let's assume June 3rd, everything's back to normal. These cases still have to be initiated for foreclosure. So it's not like, okay, the court's open. Now let's auction everything that should have gone off in March, April, May. There's still going to be a pent up backlog of all the stuff that should have gone through the foreclosure process. But don't forget the sheriff's office would not serve writ of possession. You right. couldn't get anybody served for a lawsuit. It was a, it was a nightmare. So I think you're looking at probably two to six months down the road 
that's where all the backlog of the foreclosures that should have sold in March, April, May will probably come home to roost. But we're probably 60 to 120 days out. Okay. Well, that's promising because hopefully that will help for some anyway, the the other curve that has now flattened is investment curves and, and some of those transactions. So hopefully, I mean, that, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for those opportunities to start opening up. Um, you know, I'll be actually with David uh, this week at his boot camp and supporting him and like looking, I'm actively looking for opportunities. And it's, it's, what would you have to say for people who are kind of ready to, to start jumping into real estate? What would be some things to look for? Right. Or Somebody's knocking on the door that has oh. a sign that says, please don't knock. I'm just going <laughs> to ignore it. This, okay. is, this is the beauty of being at the office now. I can uh, lock the doors and lock my car and nobody can come in. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, your, your question again. Doc. What opportunities do you see for, like you shared, like the, the initial investors, if there are people right now who are like, you know what, I always wanted to get into real estate. I see that there's going to be opportunity. You know, you talk about, you know, how to find the discounted properties. What are some things that indicators that maybe people who are looking uh, should be out for? Yeah, well, you know, it's hard to say because this is one that, again, no economic model could forecast. We don't know how it's going to play out. Right. Uh, having cash available is probably, as always, going to be a good thing. Mm -hmm. But the big question, and I don't know the answer to this, is what are the banks going to do with the inventory that they currently have? Are they going to discount it and say, you know what? We don't know what's going to happen with this market. Let's sell everything at a discount just to get it off our books. Or are they going to hold firm and say, there's no inventory out there. We have the gold right now yeah. and we're not reducing our bid prices. If they wanted 200000 for a house in May or sorry, in February, come June, are they going to want two hundred? Are they going to want 180 or are they going to want 220 I don't know. So it's a wild card here. It all depends on the banks, the asset managers and what they're willing to take as a discount, if anything, to move inventory off their books. And again, this is specific to South Florida. I don't know the market up in New York, but I would think the banks up there that are holding bad paper or bad mortgages are going to probably discount their assets come when the market opens June, July, August, because New York's market is pretty much, it's, it's baked in the cake. It's going to take a big hit, yeah. a hit that we haven't seen since probably the 80s or maybe the 90s. Um, Whereas Florida, that's where all the demand is flowing to. Even We're, before this. Even before. And right now, our phones at the office are ringing. It, it's business is almost at where it was pre-COVID-19. So, and I say that volume-wise and dollar-wise as far as the asset prices. So now you can show houses, right? People can go in the houses. Is that... There was never a time that we couldn't show houses. The issue was sellers that didn't want people going into an occupied house. Think right. about this. You live in your home. Do you want somebody trekking through your house with a virus potentially and getting you and your kids sick? So we were always able to show. I thought there was, yeah, that they were, people weren't like agents weren't allowed to go into that. That was, it wasn't a, um, it wasn't because of any mandates. Cause I remember like real estate agents were not considered essential for some period. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, they were allowed to show the house. They couldn't enter at the same time as the buyer or 
client. Okay. So they would literally go there, open the door, which is how you're trained to do it anyway these, these days, open the door, let the client in. And then once the client was in, okay, if you have any questions, let me know. But again, now you have a house that's occupied and you keep your guns and your jewelry in your bedroom. Are you going to let some stranger walk around your house right, right. With, without an escort of their realtor? Yeah. Uh, so it really, it just clogged the ability for sellers to show, for agents to show. And then you had a lot of buyers that as much as they wanted to buy a home, they really didn't feel like leaving their home when they're on kind of governmental orders to not leave unless it's for essential shopping. And one could argue that home shopping is essential, but when it's discretionary, like let me buy a vacation home, you know, a lot of people push stuff to the back burner. Mm. Do you see, I, I know you work a lot in technology. Do you see more opportunities for AI or other bits of technology? Like with the, when you're talking about the, the court systems and all that, do you think that is going to become more digitized and digital transactions happening more? Yeah. So yes, I have a lot of friends that work within the court system and this has come up in numerous discussions and yes, everything from evidence within the courthouse to documents is going to be digital. So God forbid something like this were to happen again. And even if it weren't to happen again, just to expedite the court process, uh, lawyers and judges and everybody is going to be able to upload documents to a system where the judge can see what the documents are. Evidence can be uploaded to the system and you don't need to physically bring in, oh, well, here's the phone he texted me from. Now you have a 360 view, which is sent on a video. And so that system, yes, is going to be more efficient. As far as real estate sales, we are seeing something called Matterport really take off. And then Zillow started their own, it's called a 360 tour, where basically you walk into a house with a special camera and this camera does a 360 spin and you can literally go into a house up to a doorknob, do everything except open the door by clicking the button. Uh, you could view a house from 360 degrees from the roof, ceilings, everything inside, outside the pool. So you feel like you're walking the actual property. Uh, that's been big. Uh, virtual tours are big. Virtual staging has been big too. Mm. It's been huge rise in that where we used to pay 10, 15, $20,000 to stage a house. Well, if no one's physically going to see the house to verify what the furniture looks like, <laughs> you could pay $20 a photo and you take 20 photos. So it costs you 400 bucks and you'd stage the house. And Hey, you know what? If purple goes out of style next month, no problem. Just change the couches to blue. Right. Wow. So the virtual stage, that's where we're seeing big changes. The, the virtual staging the virtual tours with Matterport or, or 360. Uh, Matterport used to be 10 cents a square foot, give or take, to do a house. So, you know, you're looking at on a 5,000 square foot house, 500 bucks. We're seeing the prices become really competitive. I mean, Zillow is free. If you have, I think if you spend 500 bucks a month on Zillow leads, your tour is free. Oh. You just got to buy the camera and the camera's a couple of grand, but it's a no brainer. Okay. Yeah. If you have a, if you're going to be doing multiple of them. Yeah. yeah. So that's where the market's going. How have you been dealing with some of these challenges? Like, was there a time when the information started to come out about the lockdown and all of that, that it impacted you and you were like, huh, oh crap. Like, did, did you experience any um, trepidation, fear, stress around this? You know, I'm a pretty relaxed guy, if you can't tell. 
Yeah. Um, and I knew that this was actually an opportunity to kind of kick back and just enjoy life. So there was never a point where I said, oh my God, what are we going to do? I knew that I could rely on A, the technology, and B, other people in my industry that I could just mimic what they're doing after they do it and it works. And I'll give a shout out to, for instance, Ben Schachter, mm -hmm. Signature. I mean, this is a guy that was teaching in a physical classroom, 50, 60 students a month. Now he's gone completely digital. He could teach 50,000 students with, with a platform that's, you know, like this. Yep. Um, so I'm, uh, I'm yeah, kind of I, I'm hoping know. to get Ben on here. Uh, I did reach out to him. We haven't connected to it for a time, but his story is amazing of, of starting, like for him, this is almost old hat because he started his industry, his, his real estate, yeah. during the crash in the first place. Yeah. Right, in 08. So he, he gets it. Um, and that's why, you know, when we talk about, you know, the, the team, like the people we hang with, the, you just shared, like other people in your industry that you know and respect, you know that they are going to do something and they're watching you as well, by the way, and going, okay, well, let's check out what Marshall's doing, okay? And, and all right, so there's possibility, there's opportunity here. Yeah, and I'll say this, if you don't utilize technology and social media these days to market yourself, your properties, your company, you're gonna be dead in the water. Uh, like the old school mailers, half the people don't even want to touch their mail. I know right. when we get packages now, my wife sprays it with Lysol, wipes it with a wipe. Like the last thing she's doing is taking the flyer from, you know, whoever it may be, John Smith, the realtor and saying, oh my God, look at this beautiful flyer. Look what just sold down the street. No, now they want an email or a text message with a link. So you, you got to get on the bandwagon for uh, technology. What has been your favorite uh, and most successful tech adaptation this exactly what we're doing right now so i love this concept of the zoom meeting in the sense of we can now reach how many thousands of people right, right? without physically gathering without having to provide lunch and drinks and guests we could do it all from i mean i'm sitting here in my office right now the door's locked and you know i'm chilling out Whereas going to a physical meeting consumes so much time and wastes so much time between the preparation and the cleaning up afterwards. So this is probably the Zoom thing has had the biggest impact on my efficiency of, of doing business. Right. I mean, I, I know before this, you were very active on social media, doing your lives and, and so forth. But I mean, I came and I spoke at your office. So like it, you, there you go. Actually, I, I totally forgot. Yeah. You're right. You came to a physical meeting where there is a difference. There's something about the human interaction when you're physically there and you could look at someone, shake their hand or fist pump them nowadays. Uh, <laughs> but for now, this is really cool that I can literally have a meeting with a guy in China, a bad example, say Japan. Okay. Uh, <laughs> or anywhere in the world within seconds, communicate instantly and not have to fly all around the world to meet. It actually expedites things and brings down the cost. Yeah, I, I agree. The, the technology, I mean, I've, I've always been a relatively early adopter. I do, however, believe that the hybrid is going to be the future because there is something that, you know, obviously I do breakthroughs, right? I can't do a firewalk or a glass walk or an hour break virtually right it doesn't have the same impact yeah but like the the combination 
of the trainings, the, you know, keeping stuff in, but then, you know, being, I mean, like, I'm sure they make virtual phishing applications. I'm sure they have that, but it's not quite the same, is it? Well, I made an analogy when this whole thing started and I'll, I'll venture on the skirts of pushing the limits here, but it's like sex or porn. Right. It's just not as good as the real thing. Yeah, not not close. I, I've used that example talking about events, live events, because you know they'd be like, "Oh, well, I'll just watch you on YouTube, or I'll you know I'll, I'll download some of your videos, or whatever." I'm like, "Yeah, but you know, say that same analogy. Which would you rather have sex or watch it?" Exactly. So that being said, that physical interaction of meeting and going, and I mean, even the companies that run Zoom, what does Zoom do? They have a physical gathering in Silicon Valley every year. Yeah. There's a reason for that. Humans like to interact. Humans like to see another human's eyes. They like to shake hands or fist pump. So well, it's, it's actually, it's more than a like, it's a need. Like we are social creatures. Yeah. And there, there is definitely the, um, the exchange of energy is more palpable when you're, with somebody not that this isn't real it just has it kind of reminds me a little bit of did you see the fly with uh jeff goldblum remember the old movie back in the no okay well so basically the concept was they they made a portal that like basically disintegrated you and then reintegrated you and they tried it with meat first before like doing a human trial so they stuck a piece of meat and then they had it go through the thing and then they cooked it and they were like, Ugh, it doesn't quite, it's not the same. There's something that's not right about it. Um, and I think we, we have this, we've all adopted very well to it, but I, I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of hybrid experiences after this. Yep. Reinforcement. So we're seeing a big change in that. And I'm on the HOA board of my community and I'll tell you, it's really nice when we don't have people to throw shit at us and say, you know, you horrible board. Now, <laughs> come get me. <laughs> All right, fair enough. So what is, uh, what's on deck for you? What, do, what are you excited about for, is there going to be something you're going to be focusing on specifically? Yeah, so, you know, here's the thing. I look at the market and I say, well, where's the big opportunity? Because I did well 08, 09, 2010, 11, when things crashed and now they rebound. We did very well. Uh, I think there's going to be an opportunity in the small strip centers, you know, where you go and there's a yoga studio, a Orange Theory, a Pilates, an ice cream shop. Those guys are going to get hammered. And I'll tell you where they're going to get hammered from every end. Number one is tenants are starting to realize, and I just got an email from IMAX, IMAX, I-M-A-C-S, not IMAX, not the theater. Yeah. yeah. Um, that they are no longer going to have a physical location for their trainings. They do tutoring for children, that everything's going to be digital now. So number one, they can bring their costs down for the consumer. So instead of 149 a month, I'm going to be, let's say 119 a month, but their biggest overhead was rent, physical rent in Boca Raton. So they've realized that if we can cut 60% of our overhead, which is the rent, we can a reduce the cost to consumers for our product or our service. And we can reach thousands of consumers instead of hundreds. So now they've opened the class up to unlimited students because it doesn't matter how many people are sitting there watching a video. What does matter is when you have 
a hundred seats in a stadium and you can't fit more than a hundred people. Right. So we're starting to see businesses that realize, man, I don't need this space. I don't need to pay 50% of my income to a landlord. And they're closing that physical space and going digital. That's going to happen to a lot of small shopping centers, strip malls, even the big malls you're seeing that. So then the question is, what can you do with that space to make sense of it financially? And that's what I've yet to really figure out. And that's the big opportunity that's coming up is, what can you do with a Sears or a JCPenney's? You know, is that going to be the next mega gym? I hope so. Like maybe Equinox will come along in Boca and say, hey, JCPenney's, 80,000 square feet. Let's turn it into an Equinox gym where people in Boca will gladly pay 200 bucks a month membership. I'll tell well, you, they have, I would, here in Boca, and sorry, Boynton, um, Christ Fellowship took over, uh, I forget what store it was, but I th- it's, it's in the mall. Yeah. And I think that's where we're going to see a trend. And I, I, I travel to Europe quite often, and especially Eastern Europe, where my wife is from. A shopping mall is nothing like it is here. The mall is the first floor or an entire section is a grocery store, like a Publix, Whole Foods, big grocery store almost like a Walmart or a Costco in every mall. And then there's shopping, but the shopping is efficient. There's a small barber shop. There's a small, everything is small. It's everything you need, but it's a smaller version. And I think that we're going to start to see that trend where Wall Street's going to move in, buy up all these vacant malls. They have the means to do it and they're going to redevelop them into multi-use. Meaning you're going to have let's just say where JCPenney's was becomes townhouses or condos or apartments. You have your whole foods or your luxury food supplies. You have your shopping, you have your dining, you have your bowling alley, everything you need within this communal living space of what used to be a shopping mall or the epitome of American. Yeah. Cool. Like I actually made me think I, I was just at a, a conference. Well, not just a couple of months ago now, right before this whole thing it was the last conference of this company I was working with. And uh, the, the hotel that they had it at was attached to a mall. So there you go. Yeah. And it was actually really convenient. It was like, Oh wow. You know, like in between breaks, whatever, we could just walk out, go to the food court. There was, it was really interesting. So yeah, pretty cool. About Boca, I mean, we're unique and I, I could speak for South Florida as a whole, but more of a niche market is Boca Raton. You have a private airport right here. I'm sitting a thousand feet from Boca airport. That's where my, one of my offices is here. You have the airport. You can rent a car. You can go to the mall stay at your hotel room at the mall or what used to be the town center mall, go do your food shopping, do whatever you need, get your clothing, everything you need in a high end, beautiful experience all within a mile of your jet. (laughs) And I think that's, you watch, watch this video five years, 10 years from now. And I would put my money on it that it's not going to be the small guys like me that move in and make moves on this stuff. We don't have the means of doing it, but wall street, just like they did, in 2010, 11, 12 with Blackstone, and I just picked up the crumbs they left behind. The big money Wall Street guys are going to move into these malls and buy them for 50 cents on the dollar and turn them around and find a way to take that same space and get a 10x return from what a retailer was paying. Wow. So how can we get in on that? Well, you could buy the REITs. <laughs> That's one uh, thing. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't have the means, nor do I know anyone with the means to buy 
a town center mall or to buy something that large and develop something that large. I'm sure there are people locally that could and will try, but you're playing with the big boys. Yeah. This is something, this is something that's going to be, and I mentioned this in the article when I did the Jeb Bush article, this is something where the wolves are going to have a feast. And I say that meaning wall street is going to have a feast on this stuff. You're going to see massive defaults on shopping malls. So interesting. That's ultimately the, the mindset is appreciating the environment for what it is. Like, okay, the wolves are going to go do that and recognize that there will be scraps. There will be some crumbs that if you're willing to be patient and be creative and be willing to think outside the box and ask different questions, that's where the opportunities are going to be found is kind of like, again, using like the shark analogy, you know, there's going to be other collateral damage that people can benefit from. Yes. And there's also going to be another trend that I'm capitalizing on already. And I have been, and I'm very open about it, that uh, downsizing is going to be a big trend. And I say that because we started building a year and a half ago, these mini, what we call hybrid offices, 10 by 12, 120 square foot offices, but they're luxurious. Like the one I'm sitting in right now, here, let me take off my fake background. Yeah, hold on. Uh, how do I choose virtual background? And then go into none. None. Okay. So here's a prime example, right? You've got your LED lighting. You've got your hardwood, beautiful floors, beautiful trim, the accent walls. You know, this is like a luxury office. Somebody can rent something like this from our building for 500 bucks a month, all inclusive. Nice. So that's a trend that we saw coming a few years ago, which is I'm a professional, I'm a lawyer, I'm a, you know, I'm in a CPA, uh, a mortgage broker, a real estate broker. I want a place to call my office. I want a mailing address. I want a place to get me from home and have quiet and lock my door and know that when I come back in the morning, it's my space. But I don't want to spend Manhattan or Boca prices. and did you see that, like the whole WeWork, you know, kind of debacle and all of that, that the, the, that was a problem because of the way they leveraged it, not because of the, the need of the, that kind of space? So I don't know WeWork's model, and I don't really, I, I haven't spent much time analyzing it. We're unique because we have industrial storage and parking as well. Uh, so where, where we're finding our little niche market is, for instance, we just put someone today, he owns a pressure washing company. He needed four parking spaces for his pressure washing trucks, plus an office. We have a tow truck company. They needed 25 parking spaces for their tow trucks, plus a little office. So it's not just, here's a $500 office. It's, you can get industrial parking, which only here in Boca, the HOAs, homeowners associations, don't allow you to park those trucks. Gotcha. So that's where we're, yeah. You know, that's where we're very unique. And we set ourselves aside from a wee worker. And by the way, here, it's month to month. It's no personal guarantee. There's no money down. And it's all inclusive. Where I think we work, you're basically sharing space, sharing a conference room. Here, it's all yours. You can lock your door. You get a key. It's yours. It's your private space. How many offices do you have? 
Uh, currently 18, and we're going to probably end up with about 30 by the time we're done. Sweet. Wow. Congratulations. And they're renting. You know, they sit for a little bit, uh, but I'd say on average they sit for about 15 days versus self-storage sits for about 15 minutes. Right. But the difference is it's one check for what used to be five individual storage spaces now combined into one office. And our whole goal was to get down to as few residents or as few rent checks as possible. Reduce the overhead. Right on. Cool. So moving forward, what if you were to kind of prep yourself, what states, what emotions, what, um, what do you see is going to be the most valuable for people moving forward to, to pull themselves out of it? Like if you were to say what you're preparing for as far as what energetically, you know what I mean? Like thinking about, okay, well, let's, let's look at, here, here's how I look at everything. First off, if you survived this physically survived, right? You, you're better than you're pretty much there. You've made it past the virus. You didn't, it didn't kill you physically. Although financially, some people did get crushed. Uh, look at the long-term trajectory of America. Look at the long-term trajectory of the world of economics. This is going to be a tiny little blip in the grand scheme of the world. And when we look back one day and our children will talk about Corona time, as I call it, uh, it's going to be something like when we speak of 9-11. It was significant to us, but to the world in 20, 30, 40, 50 years, it's insignificant. And understand that this is not the first time we've had pandemics. Right. It's, it's the, the first, first time we've shut down the world economy because of it, though. That's but what's unheard of. That's where we, I, everyone is going. I, 100%, uh, it, to the best of my knowledge, the first time the whole world has come to a standstill. That being said, it's also the first time where the whole world was so interconnected right. that you could travel the whole world in less than 20 hours. You could be on the other end of the earth. You well, and you know what's yeah. interesting about this, and, and you know, it's, uh, we don't have time because we've got to wrap it up, but I, I think to myself, if we didn't have the ability to share information as quickly and so forth as we would, would that have made things different in that, like, because we can't quantify, it's obviously, you know, to, to be an armchair quarterback at this point, it makes no sense. So there's no way to say, you know, had we not shut down the economy, had we not done this, how many lives would have been saved? How many, like, we, no one really knows the answer. But it's interesting because we're so interconnected, how quickly information is spread and then decisions were made based on information or an overload of it that it just was unheard of. We've never had that ability. Correct. I mean, just one Twitter tweet could shut down an entire country. Just think about that. A click of a button now shuts down the entire nation. It's amazing at the efficiency, at the speed of technology and the speed of communication. And I've thought about that as well. Is that the difference between the 1918 pandemic, right? And now, or, well, in 68, the, what is it called? The Hong Kong flu is like a million people died in 68. Uh, so would it have been 100,000 people if they had Twitter? Right. Yeah, who knows? We don't. I don't know. And we'll never know the answer. If we, we won't. It's just, 
it's just so crazy when you think about how we utilize technology and then it, it becomes that question. It's uh, was, uh, you know, to whom much is given, much is expected. That power of the, the information like that we can share and the impact that it can have is just, it's mind blowing. Yeah. And then how do we utilize it? Yep. And I, I love the fact that your, your position is look in the grand scheme that it's going to, it's, we're going to be talking about it. It's obviously had an impact, but we're going to, we're going to make it, you know, I love Warren Buffett, I think said yesterday, don't bet against America. Um, And I would like to think it's kind of don't bet against humanity. Like I'm, I'm going to spread it out a little bit more because I believe that everyone has the ability to access the, not only to survive, but to thrive through, you know, adversity. Yeah. I mean, there's going to be nations that get absolutely clobbered from this. Of course. And probably get taken over or acquired financially from this <laughs> um, is the politically correct term, right? They're, they're going to get... Is, yeah. People are going to buy malls and countries. Who knows? <laughs> uh, you, you watch. You're going to see that happen, especially the poor nations, you know, possibly some of the islands, the Bahamas. I mean, they've, they took the one-two punch between... a hurricane and then this no yeah. tourism for three months now they're closed till july 1st i'm trying to get my boat over there i can't so what's that going to do to their economies the only support they're going to have is loans so that's a whole other conversation yeah, yeah. But that being said i would not bet against america um yeah. we're one of the most advanced intelligent countries on earth not maybe not the most but we're one of well our, based uh, on our age i think we're doing pretty good yes yes being we're the youngest. So, you know, maybe, you know, maybe we've experienced some teenage um, missteps. Um, but I believe that, yeah, we, we, we will ultimately work with everyone and, and uh, support and prevail for sure. I'm with you. Awesome. Well, dude, thank you so much. How can people get in touch with you? Uh, if there is a way that you, something message you'd like to. Uh, message me on Facebook, Marshall Sklar or uh, email me, marshall at bidologist.com. B as in boy, I-D-O-L-O-G-I-S-T. So it's like biologist with a D in the middle, dot com. Awesome. Awesome. two L's, M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L. Two L's. The second L is for love. That's it. Or, I've heard uh, worse. Okay. <laughs> awesome, brother. Well, I appreciate you so much. And, you know, as I shared at the beginning of this, uh, I know that you have been a, a huge influence down here and beyond, and we really appreciate you sharing. And, you know, if there's any way that, you know, myself, Heidi, or anyone can support you even more, we're, we're obviously here for you and look forward to going fishing with you, which we have not yet made happen. It's summertime. It's going gonna, it's gonna to start to lay down and be beautiful June, July, August, September. So let's we're, go. And my daughter keeps begging me to go fishing. Well, you let me know. Um, yeah. Friday, Tuesdays and Fridays. Tuesdays and Fridays. We will. We need a day uh, like this. You see behind me here? I, is that from your boat? No. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let, let me go. I appreciate you so much, and we will uh, see you shortly, brother. Awesome. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Thank you so much for stopping by and hanging with us and remember to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast right here and 
We look forward to serving you even more. Remember, download your free guided hypnotic meditation at guidedhypnotic.com. That's guidedhypnotic.com where you'll get your free anxiety-busting meditation. We look forward to serving you, and if you have any questions, comments, please feel free to reach out. All right, we love you for who you are and who you aren't. God bless.